Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you had a great weekend. I've got J.B. Hickson in the house today, actually over the phone lines from Wisconsin to Colorado. Can't wait to get to him and talk about the gospel today, the importance of it, and the fact that it is the solution to um, our problems in America, around the world, and of course eternally. It's, it's the solution. So Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is the one we need to point people to. But I want to take care of some business first real quick. We've got our fundraiser tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday. So what does that mean? Three days, you will not hear a new podcast on Stand Up For The Truth because the radio station that hosts Stand Up For The Truth, Q90FM, out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, is um, raising funds. We are listener-supported, so we raise funds for the next six months of ministry, and that's how we've been doing it for 25 years here and you can go to standupforthetruth.com slash donate if you are able to donate financially. So uh, I want to thank those of you who have. We've got people from different states tuning in right now uh, online. So thank you guys. And you don't you don't listen on our website, but you listen at q90fm.com and there's a link that says listen now. So thank you guys for tuning in, for sharing us. Um, it was a blessing also over the weekend to be with Jan Markell on Understanding the Times Radio. If you missed that interview, we talked about when government becomes God. And that's uh, the push for globalism. It's kind of happening in America. We talked about that if you want to tune in to Understanding the Times. But I want to introduce J.B. Hickson, welcome him back, uh, pastor of Plum Creek Chapel, Sedalia, Colorado, right next to Denver. And he's the founder of Not By Works Ministries. He's got several theological degrees. He's the author of probably more than nine books at this point and uh, has contributed to theological journals. JB, it's always great to have you back on the podcast, brother. Hey, David. Good morning. Boy, it's great to be here. Yep. Thank you for taking the time. And before we get into the topic and discuss the gospel, um, I want to thank you for inviting me out to Denver in uh, just a few weeks. I mean, it's almost November. So if you're in the Colorado area, the Denver 14, I will be at J.B. Hickson's church. If you want to come out and uh, see us both, if you've never been to Plum Creek Chapel, we want to invite you. So I'll be mentioning this in the weeks to come, but it's getting close. Um, we're already in the end of October. So November 14, I know there are friends uh, I have in Colorado Springs area and uh, let's see, east of of Denver. So if you're thinking about visiting a new church, that would be a great weekend to do it, November 14. So, JB, um, we're going to talk about the gospel today. And you've been teaching in your church services, uh, you've been teaching about the importance of not only reading and studying the Bible, but how to understand it. Before we get into the gospel and uh, being the solution to what we need here in America and around the world. Why don't you share a little bit about what what made you decide to go back to the basics from what it sounds like? Yeah, so Wednesday nights at our uh, midweek service, we're doing a series called How to Read and Understand the Bible. And that uh, we just started, and it's uh, the kind of thing you can jump into any time. It's live-streamed at 6 p.m. Wednesday's Mountain Time, but we also post the videos of each session uh, at the notbyworks.org website. But we decided to do this because, as you may recall, we spent eight weeks uh, in some pretty heavy material uh, yes. covering what I called what in the world is going on. And we looked at, uh, you know, the Great Satanic Reset and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and a lot of things that are happening in this uh, uh, effort of Satan to take over the world and usher in a one-world system. And, and that's gotten a lot of traction. And, and those videos, by the way, are still up at notbyworks.org. We plan to leave them up for a while. So if you've not watched the What in the World is Going On series, yes. I highly recommend that you go back and watch that or listen to the audio-only podcast version. But uh, after that series, it was just 
it was really heavy and and it was burdensome and stressful and the, the spiritual warfare surrounding it. Mm-hmm. I just decided that <laughs> if we're going to successfully navigate these great last days of deception, uh, we need to know how to correctly handle the Word of God. Yeah. And so uh, I know a lot of people value the Word of God. They recognize that the Bible is the Word of God, but they don't always uh, cut straight. You know, they don't always uh, handle it correctly and know how to interpret it. So we just decided to start that series. It's been very widely uh, uh, well-received. We have a great crowd in the house on Wednesdays and uh, a couple hundred or more live streaming. So, uh, yeah, it's mainly just to give people the tools that mm-hmm. they need to be able to uh, discern deception and, uh, you know, let the Word of God be a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. Well, praise God for your taking the time to prepare and, and teach on a Wednesday night. Um, I, I One of my personal favorites, I didn't listen to every one, but I really liked the Spirit of the Antichrist series and they can get that as well at notbyworks.org. So, JB, I, I don't assume that uh, people who tune in that are fans of uh, Stand Up For The Truth or, or loyal listeners, I don't expect people to listen every day. So I just want to share, um, Friday we had Ken Ham on Answers in Genesis. He's got a new book out called Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos and a Conflicted Church. So we talked about what, why the church is conflicted, and then, we, of course, we went to the solution a little bit, and he talks about the first 11 chapters in Genesis and that we've kind of gotten away from the foundational teachings. But I want to read a little bit from this article that I wrote last week. Similar concept is very interesting, uh, the divided church and state of America. And today, like I said, we're not just going to talk about the problems, which we do often. We analyze and dissect the problems, and we've also got to focus on the solution, where to point people. But I wrote that not only is America under attack from within, which now I think most people would admit by our own government and and the Antichrist spirit of the age, but we've been subjects of a destructive agenda to divide people into groups, even in the church, divide, conquer, control. Uh, America is splintered, but even more tragic, JB, I shared that the tragic thing is when the church, when Christians who are supposed to be united, and the gospel, of course, is one of those foundational issues, but we're divided over so many other things, and many who claim to be Christian and attend churches may not even be saved. We talked about the fact that if there's no fruit being produced Monday through Saturday, well, we we can make assumptions. Only God knows people's hearts, and he's going to be the judge but some people don't even follow a biblical worldview in their lives, how they vote, uh, what policies they uh, get behind. If they don't read the Bible and study the Bible like you're teaching people at your church, then how can they obey the teachings they don't even know or understand? So the solution, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because when people turn to God, he changes hearts and their worldview changes. Their behaviors line up with the truth. And so let's talk about that, JB, and if I'm sure we'll mention 1 Corinthians 15 at the beginning, the importance of the gospel, but uh, wherever you would like to go now, knowing that this is what we really need to hammer home today. Yeah, so you're exactly right that we are more divided now than ever before, and that's by design, of course. Mm-hmm. We know that the Luciferian plan is to, bring, to try to bring order out of chaos, and when they say order, they mean the, the New World Order and the, the mm-hmm. One World System. Uh, so definitely there's a lot of division, and it's sad because in the Church we're supposed to be uh, striving for unity. The Holy Spirit's supposed to bring unity in the Church. Yep. But I will say if there is one thing that is worth dividing over, it's the gospel. Mm. You know, the very first letter that Paul wrote uh, in his uh, in the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the book of Galatians, and he begins right away by rebuking those who are preaching a false gospel mm. and um, challenging the new believers there in southern Galatia, in the cities of uh, Iconium and Lystra and Derby and others, that they should shun those that are teaching a false gospel. And we see that principle repeated throughout the New Testament that we should mark those who are preaching uh, contrary doctrine, that is, contrary to the Apostles' teaching, or what we now know as the teaching in the Word of God, and uh, and avoid them. We should mark them and avoid them. So mm. I'm not uh, one that likes to, uh, to, to likes disunity any more than anybody else, but I have um, staked my ministry and my passion and my vision for 32 years now on the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the Gospel. And I believe especially 
in these times when there's so much deception out there coming from the world and from the great deceiver himself, it's that much more important that the body of Christ um, hold firm to a, a clear, uh, accurate, and urgent gospel. Uh, it's so, it's very easy in any age for false gospels to creep in. I just preached a message uh, a couple weeks ago up in Duluth, Minnesota, at a conference on uh, Beware of False Prophets from Second Peter 2. Mm-hmm. We see Jude making similar strong statements against false teachers. Even Jesus himself rebuked the Pharisees and Sadducees in his opening sermon in his life and ministry there uh, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, for, you know, doing otherwise good things and saying, Lord, Lord, and this and that, but out of their mouth came false teaching. And he said, I never knew you. And so uh, I would also uh, add, and this is something we might be able to talk about as we go forward this morning, but I want to be, I want to caution our listeners to be very careful about judging um, even in a in an unintentional way, the validity of a person's salvation based on their works, hmm. because you know, David, we're not saved by works. That's yep. that's the the passion of our ministry, not by works ministry. Titus three five says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And the fact of the matter is, behavior is no indicator of whether someone is born again, because believers still have the old man, the old nature, Mm. and if we cater to the flesh, if we quench the Spirit, if we grieve the Spirit, if we walk not after the Spirit but after the flesh, we are capable of uh, committing any sin that an unbeliever can commit and looking very much like uh, unbelievers. And So I'm not suggesting that anyone who says they are a Christian is a Christian. What I am suggesting is that based on the authority of God's Word, if they're not a Christian, it's not because of their works. It's because they've never placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. Thank you for making that point. And um, it's very important to recognize, and we, we don't want to give the impression that we are judging people's hearts. Only God knows a person's heart. Um, all we can do is, what we've been trying to do is declare the truth, expose deeds of darkness, Point to what we can look at as cultural indicators and even church indicators. Um, and we clearly know, if you've been in the Word of God for any length of time, we know when a, uh, a Christian or a church is operating according to the, the Word of God. Some of them don't even believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Some of them ignore the Old Testament, and on and on and on. Uh, J.B., you mentioned that you wanted to touch on some um, inaccurate Gospels. Uh, Paul wasn't uh, very kind. He he said, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And Jude, as you mentioned, said, well, I was making—he he intended to talk about their common salvation. In other words, Jude wanted to say, hey, we're, you were united over this and this and this. But he said, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith— that was once for all handed down to the saints. Why? Verse 4 in Jude says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. J.B., your thoughts as we continue on this road? Yeah, so Jude and... and um uh, Peter were both addressing unbelieving false teachers, and so I think it's helpful to sort of categorize, broadly speaking, what we're talking about when we talk about false gospels and mm-hmm. false teachers. Um, there are, on the one hand, people out there who love the Lord, they love His Word, uh, and they are well-intentioned, their motives are pure, but they're preaching a false gospel unwittingly. They've mm-hmm. not really thought through the clarity and accuracy of the gospel. Maybe along the way they picked up some, you know, some colloquial terms and some terms associated with their denomination or their Christian culture, and, and so they, they really do want to see people come to faith, and they mean well, but uh, we have to be good Bereans and make sure we say only what the Bible says about the gospel. Uh, and I'll address those uh, here in a moment. But then on the other extreme, we have the charlatans, the the ones who are not saved, they have ulterior motives, they're trying intentionally to deceive or just trying to make money and those yes. types of things. And those are the ones that both Peter and Jude have very harsh words 
uh, about, and uh, we want to watch out for them as well. Yeah, you've got a book I want to mention now, um, just so people can check it out and know that it's available. It's called Getting the Gospel Wrong. Um, I don't want to get off track here, but I do want to point people to that. Can you share a little bit about that? This was one of your earlier books. Uh, What put it on your, I'm sure God put it on your heart to write that. But um, just share a little bit about that and the the need for making sure we are accurate, handling the word of truth accurately and diligently. Yeah, so it's called Getting the Gospel Wrong, the Evangelical Crisis that No One is Talking About. And uh, it, it has been out a while. In fact, it's in its second edition now. And, uh, and it's uh, a book that addresses, in the first uh, couple of chapters, the current landscape of Christianity in churches, which has only gotten worse, by the way, since then. Uh, I wrote this back in 2008, um, but it, the new edition has come out more recently. But, you know, I don't know if you saw Barna's latest statistic, but for the first time in America, less than half of people overall attend church. Now, that's talking about any kind of church, but... Right. In a nation that used to be a Christian nation where every Sunday people loaded up the kids and they went off to worship God, today that's that's a thing of the past. And, mm. you know, also in Christian, so-called evangelical Christian churches, you know, we've seen Barna's latest statistic that only one out of ten actually has a biblical worldview, meaning that the Bible trumps everything else when they're making decisions. So... Uh, I get into that at the outset, then I spend a couple of chapters establishing the standard of what is the gospel, clearly, uh, exegetically, and then there's nothing that's more clear in the New Testament than the gospel. More than 160 times in the New Testament alone, the Bible declares that the only way of eternal salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. And uh, you can state the gospel in ten words or less. Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead. And when you believe that, Jesus promised that you pass immediately from death to life and shall never come into judgment. And so then having established the standard, the rest of the book is just about uh, six broad categories of false uh, gospels that are so prevalent out there uh, today. And so maybe after the break we can... uh, uh, Are we coming up on a break here? I'm sorry. Yeah, in three minutes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let me just dive in. So we talk about, uh, for example, the purpose gospel, which is very prevalent uh, today, uh, and that's the gospel that basically says if your life is it lacks meaning and purpose, if you're feeling lonely and depressed, if you're discouraged, just come to Jesus and you can find meaning and purpose in life. Mm. Well, there are all kinds of problems with that. <laughs> First of all, there's no mention of sin, yeah. no mention of the fact that Jesus paid your penalty for sin, no mention of faith. Uh, it makes it, it relegates the gospel to something that is earthly centered and about our quality of life here rather than our eternal destiny. And it's certainly true that for believers, once you've placed your faith in Christ, we do have a different outlook today. We do have more purpose in life because we have a spiritual life now. But that's not the reason we come to faith. We come to faith because we are sinners in need of a Savior. And unless we receive Christ's payment on our behalf, we're going to spend eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. That's the, the biblical record. But Jesus paid our price, so we don't have to, to pay that penalty. And if in simple childlike faith we trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone as the only hope of forgiveness and eternal life, uh, then we can, we can be saved. So the purpose gospel completely shifts the focus it is uh, very popular because it sounds good. I mean, who doesn't want uh, more purpose and meaning in life? I mean, we're all struggling with that, even believers. But the, that purpose is only rooted in finding spiritual life to begin with, which comes by faith alone in Christ alone. My goodness, there's so much we could say about that. I, I don't know that I've ever heard it termed the purpose gospel, but I think our listeners in particular uh, know exactly what you're talking about. Um, it, the purpose, I mean, yes, we have a purpose in Christ, but yeah, some people focus on that. And, uh, boy, I think of the purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church, and uh, how we can get away from the, the truth of the gospel when we start focusing on, and that's, I'm sure you can start focusing on works then, too, as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get to that here in a moment. But, yeah, that chapter, in fact, every chapter I cite extensively, mm-hmm popular who's who, if you will, of evangelical (laughs) leaders in their own words. 
So I'm not just taking pot shots here. I'm actually documenting uh, the reality of why I am calling some of these people out based, again, on the standard in God's Word. You name names? Just like the <laughs> Apostle Paul? <laughs> Boy, yep. we, we've gotten away from that, J.B., now. But anyway, we are so blessed to have J.B. Hickson on with us today, Not By Works Ministries. We're talking about the importance of the gospel. We're talking about inaccurate gospels and what some might consider a false gospel and how to contend for the faith in this day and age with all the distractions and purposeful deceptions coming against the church. More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're talking about false gospels today and the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the true gospel. Uh, I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 15 before we hand it over to J.B. Hickson and continue to go down this list of things to be aware of and how to compare the true Word of God and what it teaches about the full gospel compared to what some are preaching around the nation, some very popular uh, so-called gospels. But he says, Paul says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this is kind of like a follow-up letter at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, because he'd already preached to them. They already knew it and heard it and received it and believed it. He said, For I handed down to you as of first importance, What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And get this, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So there were a lot of eyewitnesses alive to see the resurrected Christ. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then to Paul. So, J.B., as we continued um, talking about the importance here, this is another foundation stone we're laying in 1 Corinthians 15, the importance and the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Yeah, so it's a, it's a sign of the times for sure. We know that also, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, the devil is blinding men's hearts to the gospel. Mm. And, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, which you just read, clearly outlines uh, the gospel. It's Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried, and rose again from the dead, according to the Scriptures. And so uh, if you're not preaching Christ and Him crucified, uh, you're not preaching the gospel. And, you know, another uh, case study that we deal with in my book, Getting the Gospel Wrong, is the enormously popular Joel Osteen, mm. and I know your listeners know that name. Um, I, I think, at least at the time that I wrote the book, uh, Lakewood Church, his church in Houston, Texas, was the largest evangelical church in America. Uh, I know those that is always changing, so who knows, but it's certainly a, a very large church. To tell you how large it is, uh, they purchased the old Houston Rockets basketball arena mm-hmm. uh, that sat uh, some 15,000 people. And I, growing up in Houston in high school and college, I attended a lot of Rockets games in that stadium, which they since built a new one, and, and Lakewood Church took over the old one. But uh, but anyway, Osteen uh, was on Larry King, and uh, in this was back in 2005, and uh, Larry King asked him about the exclusivity of Christ for salvation. Mm. In other words, do you have to really believe in Christ alone as the only hope for a lost and dying world? And Osteen's answer was, I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Now, uh, you know, that's from, uh, I cite the the reference there in uh, the book. But, you know, if you're going to be a pastor uh, leading thousands of people in the Word of God, uh, you certainly better know about the most fundamental issue in God's Word, uh, and that is the gospel. It'd be like asking a world-class mathematician what two plus two is, and he says, "I don't know." And uh, but but the issue that I have, uh, uh, besides his ignorance, there uh, is with Osteen is is this. He said uh, in his book Best Life Now, quote, "God focuses on the things you're doing right." He sees the best in you. 
you can stop obsessing about all your faults and give yourselves a break. Every person has weaknesses. Now, let me just break that down. Um, he says, quote, God focuses on the things you're doing right. Well, let me tell you, according to God's word, God did not send his eternal beloved son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to die a cruel death on the cross because God thought the things we were doing were right. He sent his son to die on the cross because we were utterly depraved and lost and with no hope in this world and in need of a Savior. We were under the wrath of God. We were children of wrath. Uh, destined for hell. That's why God reached down and rescued us by sending his son mm. to, from heaven to earth to take yes. on the form of a human being, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, so that he, being a sinless human being, could take the sins of the world upon him. See, everyone else had sins of their own to deal with. Nobody had room on their shoulders uh, to pay for someone else's sins. We had all, all had our own problems. It's called the depravity of man. Mm. But Jesus Christ, as the perfect God-man, could pay our penalty, pay the sacrifice. He defeated death, hell, and the grave when he rose from the dead, and then he offers freely to all forgiveness and eternal life. So Osteen is just dead wrong when he says that God is up there focusing on what we're doing right. God is up there recognizing that we're separated from him by our own free choice, and he's doing anything and everything he can to call us back to him. Uh, but he doesn't force us. See, that's that's the uh, the thing we need to remember. We, he didn't force us to sin in the garden. We, we had free choice. Nor does he force us to accept salvation. We have free choice. And we can believe the gospel, thereby receiving the free gift, or we can reject the gospel, uh, thereby uh, you know remaining unsaved. And if we die... In unbelief, Jesus makes it very clear, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And the result of that is eternity in the everlasting lake of fire, Revelation 20 tells us. So uh, Osteen, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, I, I intentionally avoid using words like sin in my preaching. And when Larry King asked him why he, he avoids using the term sin, he said, I don't know, uh, I never really thought about it, but I really don't. I said, He said, quote, most people already know that they're doing wrong, and when I get to church, I want to tell them you can change. There could be a difference in your life. So I don't go down the road of condemning, end quote. Mm. Well, the problem is, he's missing the whole point. <laughs> it's not our place to condemn anyone. Exactly. We are already condemned. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Jesus makes that uh, very clear in John uh, chapter 3. Let me just read that for you when he says... Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Watch this. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. That's John three sixteen to 18. Those are the words of Christ himself. So uh, we absolutely have an obligation as pastors to stand up and loudly proclaim the Word of God. And the Word of God declares very plainly that if you've not believed the gospel, you are condemned. Uh, you're lost and on the road to hell. And so when people uh, gather, we need to proclaim the gospel. That's what preaching means, to proclaim the good news. Mm. And when we have someone like Osteen standing up there telling everyone, you're okay, it's going to be okay, God really likes you anyway, don't worry <laughs> about your you know, your shortcomings or mistakes or weaknesses or imperfections or yeah. insecurities. Let's call it what it is, Joel. It's called sin. Thank you. Um, JB, I thank you for, for saying that. And we're going to move on to talk about a lot of different kinds of Gospels, false Gospels, inaccurate teachings. But the reason I want to stay here for another couple minutes on Joel Osteen is because he has the power of, of influence. He has influenced millions of people. He's got many, many, many New York Times bestsellers. And the prosperity gospel and what I call his gospel of neutrality, meaning I don't want to mention sin and repentance and put that on people. I just want to, I'm looking at some of his book covers, friends. I just want to share with you how little theology is in any, probably any of his writings. Think better, live better. Your best life now, of course. It's your time. I declare the power of favor. Become a better you. Um, you are stronger than you think. The abundance mindset. Empty out the negative. Uh, peaceful on purpose. Now, these are, in fact, a, one of the Christian book sites, 
He's listed under emotional health and self-improvement, not under teaching, not under preaching, not under theology. Emotional health and self-improvement on a Christian book site. So, friends, we've got to just come to terms with the fact that if you have any of his books, maybe you read them 10, 20 years ago, and now you've got to empty out your bookshelves because we are saying this is not an accurate gospel. JB, would you like to wrap up? By the way, one more thing. Um, I've written about this as well in a couple, a couple of my books. When he was confronted back when Mitt Romney was running for president, uh, I don't remember what year that was, but he was asked by, I think, um, somebody on Fox News, so do you say that Mormons are Christians? And Joe, Joel Osteen said, yes, I believe they are. And so there are some things that Joel Osteen either is ignorant of, doesn't want to address, or as if you ask him about abortion or gay marriage, he famously says, I just believe I want to stay in my own lane and give people hope and point him to the positive. JB, your closing yeah. thoughts on this um, imposter. Yeah, so uh, I want to be, I want to point out to your listeners that both here in this interview as well as in my book, I'm not personally attacking the man. Um, I've never met Joel Osteen, although I have been uh, and met with some of his staff members there in uh, in some of my research. Um, and he 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 may be a nice guy. I, I'm, this isn't about personal qualities. It's that we're called to hold people to the standard of God's Word as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And it is self-evident, when you just read his own writings, that he's preaching a false gospel. That's mm-hmm. not my word. That's the word of the, the Bible. Amen. So in that sense, we're criticizing what he's saying, what he's teaching, and it is a serious error because yes. it deals with what matters most, which is the gospel. So uh, he absolutely is uh, is not uh, presenting a clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. I believe if he is saved, and based on his own testimony, I've not read anything that would lead me to believe he is. But again, as you said, we're going to leave that up to the Lord. Um, the only way we can make an educated guess as to whether someone is saved is based on their own profession, not based on their works, because again, believers can commit heinous sins if they're walking in the flesh, so we want to be careful about making our behavior the arbiter of whether we feel someone may or may not be saved. But based on his own testimony, I've not written anything that leads me to believe he understands the simplicity of grace, uh, the purity of the gospel, that Christ died for his sins and rose from the dead, and that only by trusting Christ can one be saved. But regardless, whether he's saved or not, if he's saved, he's going to have to give an account before God someday for leading so many tens of thousands of people, and really millions if you count his books, uh, astray from the clear target of the gospel. Yes, thank you. So um, that may be disheartened to a lot of us, only not the fact that men are preaching such things, because who doesn't want to be popular? Who doesn't want to um, just encourage people but not offend anybody? I mean, of course, that's that's what, you know, pleasing man, right? And uh, Paul writes about that, too. I would not be a bondservant of Christ um, if I wanted to please man. But anyway, JB, what would be the next in line as far as an inaccurate or false gospel that you think uh, something that the Church needs to be concerned about and really expose? Yeah, so in the, the revised edition of Getting the Gospel Wrong, uh, which you can get at notbyworks.org or Amazon or wherever, I have six uh, categories of false gospels. We've talked about two of them, the Purpose Gospel uh, and now the Prosperity Gospel. Uh, but a big one that I want to make sure we get in uh, on our discussion today is the performance gospel. Mm, works. Performance gospel. And yeah. this, in this chapter, we deal with a lot of Bible teachers who I would say are most likely saved based on the fact that they've studied God's Word for years and they are in often, in oftentimes uh, expository preachers, but they just uh, are absolutely wrong when it comes to precisely what someone has to do to be saved. And they make eternal salvation about uh, something we do, like surrendering or committing or pledging or promising or turning from all of our sins. Or It's all about us rather than simply receiving the free gift. And uh, the Bible is clear, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. And the way we receive that free gift of grace is by faith. In the same way that if I were to give you a a welcome gift when you come to Denver next month, and we're so excited, by the way, to have you come to Plum Creek Chapel. Can't wait to to have you in our pulpit. But uh, if I were to give you a welcome gift, you would take possession of that gift with your hands, your physical hands. In the spiritual realm, the way we take possession of eternal life 
is by faith. The faith are like the hands. They're the means of receiving the gift. And uh, we believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, and we're saved. And so um, a lot of these teachers have clouded the issue by bringing performance or works in on the front end or, in some cases, the back end. Uh, but uh, on the front end, they'll say, you've got to turn or turn your life around you, as if you've got to get cleaned up to take a bath. Mm. Uh, that's the way I, I, I describe it. They would never say it that way, but that's essentially what they're asking sinners to do. Uh, they're saying, uh, you've got to surrender. You've got to make him the king and lord of your life. And all about, they, they basically relegate eternal salvation to a bilateral contract between us and God. And, and we bring something to the table, and when we bring enough, enough willingness, enough promises, pledges, enough forsaking, enough surrendering, enough committing, when we bring enough, then God says, okay, you've got a deal. And somehow that saves us. But the Bible is, is clear in the, in the words of that great old hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Uh, we cannot bring anything to God uh, to commend ourselves to him and, and make ourselves right with him. We simply have to receive the free gift, the free gift of eternal life. Mm. I think it's appropriate right now to uh, read uh, very familiar scripture to most of our listeners. But just again to set this foundation, and I don't want to assume that everyone listening knows the full gospel and understands that we are saved by grace. And I, so I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and it just simply says, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then he goes on and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift. There's that word, JB, the gift of God. Verse 9, not a result of works, performance, so that no one may boast. Uh, JB, we've just got 30 seconds left. Do you want to put a closing, wrap this uh, segment up in a bow here? <laughs> yeah, for by grace you've been saved. That's it. Grace means free gift. If it's not free, it's not grace. If it's not grace, it's not free. And when people somehow think that they've achieved salvation because they've been committed enough, or they've promised enough, or they've surrendered enough, or they've made this rock-solid pledge to a holy God— they have something to boast about because they can say their commitment's greater than mine. But it's when we, in simple, humble faith, say, I can't do anything, Lord, save me. That's when uh, grace abounds. Mm, amen. We are with J.B. Hickson today, and we are talking about false, inaccurate Gospels, comparing them to the true Gospel, and, as some would say, we are trying to contend for the faith. Uh, more with J.B. Hickson in just a minute on Stand Up for the Truth, and uh, we've got a couple more uh, inaccurate Gospels to expose and talk about. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is J.B. Hickson. Today we're going through some of the Gospels that we need to be aware of and we need to know how to refute. But also, there are attacks on Christianity that are not... <laughs> I mean, that's been from the beginning of time, right? Since the, since the Garden, there have been attacks on the truth and on the Word of God, but they are open and bold about their attacks now, especially in America and our culture. JB, do you want to touch on that a little bit and attacks on the Church today before we talk about more false Gospels? Yeah, I believe uh, in these days, I think these are unprecedented times in human history. I've talked about that in Spirit of the Antichrist and What in the World is Going On, those uh, video series. Um, and, of course, you've, you've touched on it uh, extremely well in your latest book, uh, Canceling Christianity. And, um, by the way, we've been selling that everywhere we go at our conferences, and I always run out. Every, I, can't, I never bring enough. I bring 20, and somehow <laughs> we always run out in the first day or two. So it's touching a nerve, and it's really 
reminding people uh, that Christianity is under attack. Mm-hmm. But one of the things in, in, that I want to caution us about is that in the midst of these unprecedented attacks on Christianity, which I believe are by design, I think they've got to destroy Christianity in America in order to bring down America and usher in the one world system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the restraining influence of the, the Holy Spirit in and through the church is one of the things that's holding back the new world order system right now. But as we defend against that, and as we defend in many cases even against our own lives as attacks are coming uh, here in America, we've got to remember to keep the main thing the main thing uh, because uh, sometimes we appreciate and value the the uh, outspoken uh, critics of the world system as it is being rolled out and we we applaud them but we want to be too we want to be careful about not hitching our wagon too closely to these teachers unless they're proclaiming a clear gospel. And so I just kind of hoped that our uh, discussion today can be a clarion call for all of us to Mm. retune our spiritual discernment to the gospel and make sure that we are uh, keeping the main thing the main thing. Um, Because after all, unless a person has been saved by believing the gospel, by placing their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, then they're not going to have any kind of a fighting chance uh, in this uh, tyranny mm. that's being rolled out and these attacks on Christians. So uh, we've got to have that that mindset first and foremost. My goodness, yes. We've talked so much about the fact that fear is off the charts today. Uh, and even, you know, sometimes in the church, you know, Christians, uh, we're in this world, but we are not to fear whatever's going on in the world. We are secure in our faith and our eternity. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And uh, we should not fear as others do, but because others fear, they, they, they don't have any hope like we have beyond this life. They just, this, is, this now is all they have. So, of course, a virus is going to freak a lot of people out because they think, well, death is the end. Well, for us, death, death is just the beginning. So, JB, uh, let's go into another one of those Gospels that uh, you write about. Yeah, so another one that I think is worth mentioning here, I mean, they are all have some great data and some great uh, direct quotes, and then we compare it to Scripture to show why it's wrong, but I call this one the puzzling gospel. Uh, so you're starting to see a theme here. I, I was uh, raised in the Baptist Church, and so I like alliteration, but uh, we've talked about the purpose gospel, uh, the uh, performance gospel, the prosperity gospel, uh, but this one's the puzzling gospel. And this one, um, you know, uh, deals with people who, again, probably mean well. I don't necessarily sense any ulterior motive or intention to deceive, uh, but they're using uh, sloppy language that is not biblical and is uh, counterproductive when trying to proclaim the clear and accurate gospel message. And I know I myself have been guilty through the years, especially early on in my ministry. Uh, you know, I surrendered to preach David when I was 16 years old. Wow. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home, and so I trusted Christ at age six. Um, in fact, I recently reached out to that church uh, that I was saved in uh, 47 years ago and had a wonderful talk with that pastor um, and just introduced myself. And uh, my folks, had we were in West Virginia at the time, and my folks were only in West Virginia for three years, but it happened to intersect with this church. At the time, they were building a new building, and uh, I happened to be, as a young six-year-old boy, the first person ever baptized in that new building. And when I was telling the pastor that story, he validated he could remember uh, the dates and stuff of when the church was built. Mm-hmm. He came along ten years later, uh, but uh, he said, you know, we've since built a new building, and where my office sits, where I'm sitting talking to you on the phone right now, he said, is where that baptistry used to sit where you were baptized as a young six-year-old boy. So wow. anyway, but uh, I was blessed to raise, be raised in a Christian family, and then I surrendered to preach at age 16, had my first paid church staff position at age 19. Wow. So uh, 32 years of of uh, or thirty whatever it is, I can't even do the math. Thirty some odd years, <laughs> um, and and I know I've been guilty of of not being as clear as I can, and you know I praise God that that sometimes He can hit a home run with a crooked stick, uh, but that doesn't mean that when we share the gospel, we should you know grab for crooked sticks. We ought to we ought to have the straightest stick we can. We ought to get it right. And so in my chapter on the puzzling gospel, I talk about uh, different gospel tracks and different famous evangelists who use language like invite Jesus into your heart or Mm. 
turn your life over to Jesus or, uh, you know, give your life to Jesus. That's a big one. We, we have to really caution, and I would caution all of your listeners to uh, really uh, correct themselves when they speak of the gospel in terms of us giving something to God. Because as uh, Charles Ryrie has pointed out, uh, and as the Bible makes plain, that's got the gospel twisted 180 degrees. Hmm. Uh, the gospel is not about us giving something to God. It's about Him giving something to us. There's yeah. one giver, God, and yes. one receiver, us. And it, we simply receive the gift by faith. And I think the reason a lot of people are not saved is they're too busy trying to give stuff to God. Hmm. They give you my life, give you my all, give you my heart, give you my sins, give you my this, give you my that. And God says, just put all that stuff down come to the altar and receive the grace that I have for you. And if you, you know, Jesus put it pretty simply in John six forty seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. So eternal salvation is a matter of faith, <clears throat> not a matter of action. <clears throat> and it's not a giving something to God. He gives something to us. John three sixteen. we all know it, but yet we, we tend to forget it. For God's love of the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Mm. Uh, God, you know, we don't get salvation because we rack up a bunch of stuff, put it in a basket, and give it to God. We receive from God eternal life. So things like that, inviting Jesus into your heart, I know that's a popular uh, way to share the gospel that I grew up with, but I did the research on that, and actually that, that phrase, invite Jesus into your heart, Never appears anywhere in human history and church history until after the twenty-first, after the twentieth century, turn of the twentieth century, early nineteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. It's largely a Baptistic uh, thing. It, you see it in some hymns in the late nineteenth century. Uh, I talk about this in my book, Top Ten Reasons Some People Go to Hell. Um, and so, you know, just because it's a phrase that came along fairly recently doesn't, in and of itself, mean it's bad. We we, we use language to communicate ideas, but the Bible never uses that phrase invite or ask Jesus into your heart, that's, right. um, that's confusing the result of salvation with the means by which we get salvation. Believe, repent, and I like the way, a lot of times I think we're coming back to that word gift and uh, the gospel, the salvation that we have received. It is a gift of God. If we focus on that, we won't be as focused on ourselves and our giving and our works. But JB, one more, we have about five minutes left or so, and uh, is there one more we can squeeze in? Well, yeah, let me just elaborate. I'll stick stick with the puzzling gospel for okay. a second and elaborate on this idea of repentance. You know, repentance in Scripture just means a, a change of mind. It's a compound word in Greek, metanoeo, to think again, uh, or metanoia, thinking again, changing your mind. It's only used 58 times in the entire New Testament in the noun or verb form, but it always means a change of mind. And so repentance, as it relates to our eternal salvation, means changing your mind about what you thought would save you. If you thought your good works or your own efforts, or your religion, or your baptism, or your heritage, or your nationality, in the case of the self-righteous Jews in the first century. If you thought any of that would save you, you need to repent. Uh, You need to repent today and change your mind and recognize that only Jesus Christ and God's Son, our Savior, can save you. And so, in a sense, whenever someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, they have repented. But I want to be careful to, to, to clarify that that doesn't mean that a person the way you get saved is by stopping your sin. In fact, you can't stop sinning until you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and He begins to convict and reprove and lead and guide. Mm. So sometimes people hear the word repent, and they think it means turn your life around or clean up your life. And those are issues of sanctification, not justification. Those are issues that come after we're saved. So repentance, as it relates to our salvation is limited to a change of mind about God or Christ or about basically about who we think and what we think uh, can save us. So, you know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He wants every lost sinner to change their mind about him and recognize that he and God alone has provided the, the, the sacrifice for man's sin in the person and work of his Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You said change, and I, th- I think of something I just saw this morning. Uh, someone was reacting to a post by uh, Stephen Furtick, I think the guy is his name. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, this reaction was phenomenal. It was, well, actually, the truth is we don't change ourselves, and we don't work the change in us, but the truth is we become new creations because God changes us. Your thoughts, JB, before we wrap yeah, this up? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, when we get saved by receiving the free gift, which, again, is a free choice, he doesn't force us to believe. Every person 
can either believe the gospel or reject it. But once we believe it, in that instant, we pass from death to life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence, and then he begins to affect change. He molds and shapes us. And, you know, sometimes the spiritual journey is three steps forward, two steps back. Sometimes people get away, believers get away from the Lord. We can backslide. Uh, again, we can, uh, you know, cater to the flesh and so forth. But as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we build into our lives through the Word of God and a good Bible-teaching church, uh, we begin to grow spiritually mature, and uh, that's part of the sanctification process. But uh, you don't get saved because you turned or stopped sinning. Now, let me hastily add here, I am absolutely against sin. And if you're out there listening to this and you're involved in sin, you need to stop it. It's a serious uh, offense to a holy God. If you're a believer and you're sinning, it's going to bring terrible consequences. And if you're an unbeliever and you're sinning, it's going to bring terrible consequences. Sin is an equal opportunity killer. <laughs> James says sin, when it's full grown, brings forth mm, death. Yes. So we absolutely believe you ought to repent of sin as well. But you just need to understand that repenting of sin in and of itself doesn't save you. It's only when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Uh, that we're saved. Amen. Uh, J.B. Hickson, it always goes by so fast, and uh, this was I really enjoyed today as we were kind of led by the Spirit. We didn't have a set, you know, really um, uh, a structured and, and uh, you know, unflexible or inflexible, uh, you know, topic for today that we couldn't, you know, uh, dive into some of these things. I think people needed to hear some of what we shared, particularly about some of these false gospels, because they have crept into the church as Paul warned about, so it's nothing new, but yet there's some very popular movements out there that just aren't biblical in some of those Gospels. So thank you for uh, addressing this important topic with us today. I'm looking forward to being with you in a few weeks out there in uh, Denver area, in the Denver area, and uh, brother, thank you. We'll be in touch. Hey, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, David. God bless your ministry. Uh, J.B. Hickson, now when we come right back, we are going to share... Uh, what's happening the rest of the week. You know it's Q-Drive week, but uh, we do also have a very interesting topic on Friday, and I think you know what it's going to be, because what's next weekend? It's Halloween. (gasps) How should Christians respond? So seriously, we're going to talk about a little bit of that. I'll let you know when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. So Friday, uh, we are going to be talking about the history of Halloween, the occult, and we're talking about what, what it means to some people, and also the important question, how should Christians respond to this, quote, holiday? And um, I would put it out right now and say you should never celebrate Halloween. So what do we do? What do you do if you have young children? You know, just let, let's see how we can uh, be maybe gospel oriented and uh, people come to your door. It's National Evangelism Day, according to Ray Comfort. But there are some ways we can still kind of be lights in that very dark uh, weekend, which is next weekend. And tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday, we are not doing a new podcast because we are raising money for the next six months of this ministry, keeping it going. If you'd like to donate, you can call in during those days. We'll be opening up, up the phone lines, or you can go to standupforthetruth.com slash donate. Thank you so much for your support. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.